There's no question that television in 2023 was greatly impacted by the strikes by the Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA, which brought Hollywood production to a halt for nearly half of the year. So for the first half of the year, we were well-fed with quality shows worthy of the golden age of TV. For the best back half, well... Hope you like 90 minutes episodes of The Amazing Race and international versions of CBS shows. <laughs> but still, there was great TV to be had this year and plenty of it. So our panelists are here to share their favorite shows, both new and returning, as the great pop culture debate presents the best TV of 2023. Generally, I prefer my steak medium well, but this year I like my beef raw. I'm your host, Eric Resniak. Please help me welcome my amazing panel. Uh, she's worried about being a distraction to the jury. It's Ama Marfo. If I have any crap to bring to the table, I promise I will claim it as my own. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but is that James Marsden showing up for voir dire? Like Philomena Kunk, he's really just here to pump up the jam. It's Derek Makita. I don't claim to be an expert in anything we're about to discuss, but I do know Belgian techno group Technotronic, and really, that's what matters most in life. Just to clarify, does this mean that this is where the party is at? And we'll find out if we do that. <laughs> Finally, she's on the run and here to call us out on all of our lies. It's Joelle Bodecker. Stay strong, truth tellers. Stay strong. Joelle, I'm known for bluffing with my muffin. Can you read my poker face? And enjoying his devil fruit from the producer booth, it's Bob Erlenbach. So our best of episodes are a little different than our usual format. There's no polls, there's no brackets, there's barely even any debating. Our panelists are just going to do a pop culture show and tell on our individual top three TV series from this year. These could be brand new shows released in 2023 or great new seasons of continuing shows that aired over the past 12 months. Do you disagree with some of our picks? Do you want to add some of your own favorites to the discussion? Head to greatpopculturedebate.com and leave a comment on the episode or find us on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Mastodon, or Facebook and tell us what you think. With that out of the way, let's get into these top threes. I'm going to start in alphabetical order. Sorry, Emma. And that means you are up first. I may change my name just because of this podcast. <laughs> Swap it. Now you're Marfo. It's fine. That's right. Yeah. So my first pick is Freebie's Jury Duty. When this came out, I'm, I'm actually going to back up. The first time I saw the trailer, it just looked like something incredibly special and just really interesting. It's like, how do you pull off something like this when you see what the premise is? And then when you finally jump into it, it just feels like this wildly precarious ride of something that theoretically is so boring that what we're seeing is so outlandish that you're like, how, how are they going to keep this up? And over the course of eight episodes, they they do it. And it's so interesting to watch from a comedic perspective. It is written. So like the idea of how you're writing it for everybody, but one person, unbelievably, just the tightrope that you're watch walking for that whole episode is you're laughing and you're falling in love with these characters. And you're like, are they going to make it? What's going to happen? Uh, for those who have not watched it, the premise is you're going through a jury trial and you get to meet and follow the jury. One of the jurors is a real person. Everybody else is an actor. And you're spending the whole time trying to figure out, are they gonna get to the end of this case without him finding out that he is in essentially a simulation? And yeah, it's it's one of the coolest things I've seen in ages and just frankly, probably irreplicable at this point, especially because the person that they ended up getting was so special and so unique and just seems to be having a fantastic time now that he uh, now that he's in on it. 
Uh, I got to see him on a panel at ATX Festival in Austin. So he got to talk about how it's felt felt since then. And they talked about the casting process and everything. And it's just such a singular experience on TV this year that I could not not put it on my list. I'm so glad that you did, because in my opinion, it's one of the biggest buzz shows of this year. Um, And this is something I ask every time we talk about Freebie. If you have Amazon Prime, you have access to Freebie, correct? You do. And if you don't have Amazon Prime, you still have access to Freebie. It is a separate app, but you can still watch it regardless. So everyone has access to the show. There is nothing stopping you. Go find it. It's right there in the name. Freebie. Mm-hmm. Free V. It's right there. Yeah. Um, excellent. Thank you so much for nominating this drama. It is, I think, again, one of those shows that, that will be remembered for 2023 going on from here. Derek, you, you talk to me about your first pick. So my first pick is Star Trek Picard, the final season. Um, for years, in fact, the first two seasons of Star Trek Picard, Patrick Stewart resisted have the idea of having a season with full tng cast representation uh but in the end he mellowed and what we got may just go down to be the greatest season of star trek television we've seen in the last 20 years um the gang is finally back together for one more adventure uh with real stakes and a ton of callbacks and easter eggs including musical cues which is just amazing um there's also a few new characters that are brought in to make for a more compelling story and um, comedic color. Um, some of the standout performances, Todd Stashwick as Captain Liam Shaw, um, Ashley Sharp Chestnut as Sydney LaForge, and um, Ed Spilliers as the fulcrum character of the entire season, a character who is quickly revealed to have ties to the OG Enterprise D crew. And I will leave it at that. I'm not spoiling anything for you. Um, this season kept my attention throughout with really tight writing and um, production by showrunner uh, Terry Metalis. He managed to give us something that feels fresh, but warmly familiar, um, but still with oodles of fan service to longtime like TNG stands, but it never felt heavy handed. Yeah, I have to say, um, to me, this one really felt like a love letter to the old TNG fandom. And um, I always had a kind of in and out with Picard up until this point where like great beginnings to every season and then it usually can't went completely yeah. off the rails. Yeah. It was almost like a, um, oh God, what am I, I'm blanking on his American Horror Story. Yes. Uh, <laughs> You know what I'm talking about yes. here. Why can't I think of his name? Anyway, um, that's how I was feeling about the previous season's Picard. Picard season three ties it up beautifully. It, yes. it is a lovely, really lovely send off for these characters. And it feels very final, but in a way that feels earned. Yes. So thank you for nominating it very much. Um, so uh, my first pick is One Piece on Netflix. By the way, you can watch Star Trek Picard on Paramount Plus. I think yes. we need to make that clear. So One Piece on Netflix, let me set some levels. While I appreciate anime and I have dabbled in it, I'm by no means an expert in the genre. I had never read any of the One Piece anime. There's now more than 1,000 chapters of it, so that's a little bit intimidating. I'd never watched any of the animated adaptations. I knew of it, but I found the existing canon way too intimidating. And what I knew of the concept, a bizarre mashup of pirates, superpowered children, and fish people, also didn't really pillage my booty, if you catch my drift. (laughs) But then Netflix released its live action adaptation later in this year, and everyone was raving about it. Multiple people I know, including panelists of this podcast, were effusive in their praise. 
it was wildly popular on Netflix itself. Countless articles were written about not only how good it was, but how surprisingly good it was, especially since Netflix had already tried and failed miserably with live action anime adaptations, including 2021's instant bomb Cowboy Bebop. Mm. For everything Bebop got wrong, One Piece seems to have gotten right. The casting for One Piece is excellent. Inaki Godoy is, is all bright-eyed enthusiasm as our rubber-limbed protagonist, Monkey D. Luffy. Makinu Arada gives brooding intensity and dry wit as swordsman Roa Noah Zoro. Emily Rudd is moody and mysterious as the conflicted Nami. And Taz Skyler is already booking big Hollywood gigs off of his charming chef, Sanji. Jeff Ward devours every scene and its scenery as the insane clown pirate Buggy and Vincent Regan is relentless as the overarching antagonist for the season, Garp. Season one looked terrific. Just about every episode of One Piece is filled with wild set pieces and gonzo villains that require tons of specialized sets and intense effects. I think Netflix nailed this. The show is a goddamned delight. It is high adventure on the high seas with colorful yet very humanized characters, dozens of subplots that somehow never feel overwhelming, dynamic action sequences, and a galleon full of whimsy. It's an unexpected delight, and I'm already looking forward to next season. Again, this is coming from someone with basically zero exposure to the property before this, so if you were concerned about that, it is completely new viewer-friendly. Joelle, do you want to speak to us about your first pick? Sure, yeah. So my first pick, I think it's a show that a lot of people may have missed. It came out earlier this year. It was on Amazon Prime. It's an Australian show called Class of 07. Um, I went in blind. I no, literally read nothing about it. I just saw the like the, the tagline and it was just, girls are stranded. There's a whole tidal wave situation. So I go in and it is not at all anything I've seen before in my life. It's the story of this... Um, uh, it's a 10-year reunion, so this girl is 28 years old, and she's uh, deciding whether or not to go to her reunion. Her life has not quite gone well, and she ends up uh, uh, going anyway because she wanted to warn her friends that a huge, horrible thing is about to happen. This giant tidal wave was just going to destroy the entire Earth, except for where they were, their one campus, their high school campus where they're having their reunion. And then the show goes on from there. It is a wild ride. It goes places I wouldn't expect, probably because it's Australian and American shows just wouldn't go there. You got some Lord of the Lord, Lord of the Flies, not rings, Lord of the Flies <laughs> type of elements. Um, if you remember the society on Netflix, there's some elements of that. Lots of power struggle and who's in charge and who's going to live and die. There's literal, like there is death, even though it's a comedy. Um, I think the show is a delightful watch. It is eight episodes and it's so easy to just jump in ponder what the heck these girls are going to do next and get out. Uh, and I hope there's a second season because there was a cliffhanger, FYI. Mm, and that's Amazon Prime, you said? Amazon Prime, yeah. Uh, Ama, you wanted to say something about the show? Well, I have a question for Joelle about the show. Yeah. Did you watch The Wilds that was also on I, Amazon Prime? I did watch The Wilds. That was much darker, much more mysterious. There's definitely a mystery behind the show, but it's so kooky and weird. And there's like people breaking bones and it being funny. Like it's it's just very different. <laughs> okay. I was curious about it tonally because I loved The Wilds. Yeah. was very sad that that ended at the point where it yeah. did. But it sounds to me like I should pick this up for that this, like, this, this spiritual is a connection. total comedy total comedy yeah even better yeah awesome great well thank you everybody these are some great round one picks we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back for round two of our picks after these messages 
Happy holidays from the crew at the Great Pop Culture Debate. While you're running around buying gifts for all the people you love, or at least are obligated to tolerate, why not do something nice for yourself? Specifically, become a Patreon supporter of the Great Pop Culture Debate today. It's like a stocking full of treats. You'll get even more exclusive content, merch, and at the higher levels, you get to join the podcast Discord server, get shoutouts by name in future episodes, and even listen in as we record specific topics. It's the gift that keeps on giving, and tiers start as low as $5 per month. Make a last-minute play to get on Santa's nice list by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com backslash debate today. Welcome back to our best of 2023 TV episode. We're going to move on to our second round of picks. And Ama, you're up again. It's going to sound as though I work for Freebie. I don't, but I do have another <laughs> pick uh, from them. And this is a show called Primo. So it is co-created by Shay Serrano, who does a lot of work for uh, the Ringer Media, and Mike Shore, who we know from The Office and The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and has in the past couple years worked with different types of showrunners to bring their stories to the screen. And this is a really fun one. It's basically a version of Shay Serrano's life growing up in San Antonio, Texas, uh, with a single mom and his five uncles, and how he kind of is navigating those early years of high school, where they can tell he has high potential and is going to go to college. He would be the first in his family to go to college, so it's how everybody's reacting to that. Uh, how his friends, who maybe aren't on the same path, would react, the girl he has a crush on, and just the dynamic that they build of being a family, but all of the uncles being so different and giving him different types of advice, some good, some bad, some in between. It's it's just really nice in the sense of what you get from a lot of Mike Schur shows is, it, of course, it's really, really funny, but it's also very sweet. And you get to kind of get to know the family and feel like you're a part of what they're doing. And it's, again, I think in part because it's on Freeview, one that if it had been on NBC, I think we'd be talking about it with such high praise. So I always want to make sure that people are seeing things like this because it's it's a wonderful one. And I think I think people will have a lot of fun with it. And I love that um, you're bringing some of these shows that otherwise aren't going to get talked about because I think that's something that we can do that some of the bigger podcasts can't. So thank you for bringing – you've done that with other ones in the past that I've then subsequently checked out and ended up loving. So thank you very much for your picks. Um, Derek, why don't you walk us through your second pick? Yes. So uh, what I think is very interesting is that the majority of our picks are probably not from network television. Oh, yeah. So we are definitely living in a new age, people. Um yeah. So my next pick actually could be considered to be from network television as it is technically a CBS show, but it's mostly streaming on Paramount Plus. So um, it's actually the Frasier reboot. Um, as we all know, we are living in the golden age of 90s reboots, um, usually with the same actors involved, but that's not the case here. You could say what's old is new again, but perhaps a more apt expression would be what's old is older again. <laughs> um, the critics have been really harsh in their assessment of this modern take on Frasier. Um, mostly noting that without the inclusion of Niles and Daphne and Roz and Frasier's dad, Martin, uh, the show just doesn't have the same panache. Um, but I'll be honest, I love it. Um, to me, it seems to capture some of what made Frasier great in the 90s um, as a sitcom. It has an ensemble cast that really helps bring out the best and worst of Frasier Crane. Um, and he's back in Boston now and awkwardly reunited with his son, Freddie. Um, 
the same highbrow versus lowbrow dynamic that used to exist between Fraser and his father Martin is now embodied in Fraser's strained relationship with Freddy. And the supporting characters from Fraser's hapless nerd nephew David, the son of Niles and Daphne, to Eve, Freddy's friend and the local bartender, to Alan and Olivia, Fraser's colleagues at the Harvard psych department. Um, all the fundamentals are there and it hits me right in the nostalgia feels. It's mostly basic sitcom humor that feels teleported straight from 1995, but there are also tender moments, in particular in the pilot, one moment between Frasier and Freddie, where they discuss Martin's recent passing and what he meant to them both individually, which is a really nice, touchingly subtle tribute to um, late actor John Mahoney. Um, as of this recording, there are only three or four episodes into that season, so I highly encourage you all to give it a try. Um, I suspect it, you may find it hits you right in the feels, too. Thank you. I love that you picked this one because it is, it's getting drubbed by the critics. Mm -hmm. And um, I am always interested in hearing the counter argument for people who genuinely enjoy things because in the 2020s, one of my kind of life mottos is just try to like things, just try to enjoy things. It, it actually, it, it, your, your attitude will be massively improved. So um, when you told me you wanted to do this one, I was delighted because it is getting so much negativity. It's nice to hear someone enjoying it for it, what it's trying to do as opposed to criticize it for what it's not. So yes. Um, yes. I'm personally grateful for that. Joelle, you wanted to add something? I do, yeah, because I, I, I loved the original show. And so I was like, Obviously, I'm going to sit down and watch this. And I went in super low expectations, heard nothing good. And I think the cast is fantastic. I think the makeup of the cast and the different energies and ages that they've pulled together is really going to lead to something fun to watch. That yes. said, you have to have patience for a 90s sitcom because it is a different beat. The jokes are very tropey. But if you like that sort of thing, and that's comfort TV, this is perfect. Ama, you want to say something? I did. I was just going to say that the rhythm of it, um, and I've only watched, I've watched very little, like maybe the pilot. And mm -hmm. um, I did have the benefit of going to a TV festival where James Burroughs got an award and he talked about directing this and how it felt like so much of the other work that he had done. And I was really pleased to hear that because I think he's done so much really special stuff. He was kind of the in-house director for Frasier uh, did a great deal with Cheers, Taxi, Dick Van Dyke. Like, you've seen his work and you love his work. Um, the yeah. challenge I was having is that he very much is like, this is what sitcoms are. And other things aren't that. And that was challenging for me because I'm like, I like Frasier a great deal. And I think that there is a lot of potential in this new one. And I think something like Abbott Elementary is doing something different and is also good. So, like, yeah. I think we're having, we're at a real inflection point where it's like, what is a sitcom going to look like? who was going to get to make those decisions. And I think that Frasier is really interestingly positioned in that because it's one of the first times that like someone who had such a hand in things going back again to like the 1950s is doing something now and kind of bringing in all of that critique. Yeah. 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 That's great. The only other thing I would say is um, I always found, even in, with the original sitcoms back in the, the 90s and, and earlier, it always takes them four, five, six episodes to find their rhythms, to find, to bake in those relationships. So I think people judging it extremely harshly off of those early episodes, we have to give shows a little bit of time. Yes. And so um, we'll see what happens with it. But Derek, I'm, I'm delighted that you brought it up here. So thank, thank you, you so much.
Um, next, my second pick is also a Netflix show. As Amma said, I'm not being sponsored by Netflix. But that being said, Netflix, feel free to sponsor me. I am absolutely for sale. Um, <laughs> I picked Beef. Uh, so in my memory, Beef came out super early in 2023, but it was actually released in April. But even at that time, I remember thinking, okay, so there's one entry in my best of 2023 list sorted. Uh, eight months later, it hasn't budged. Beef was easily one of the best things I saw last year or any year on television. Beef is a 10 episode miniseries detailing uh, a pretty generally normal people. Ali Wong's Amy Lau, who runs a boutique plant shop on the verge of being acquired by a major home improvement brand, and Stephen Wen's as Danny Cho, a contractor who is struggling to make ends meet. The story begins with the two of of them involved in a minor accident that leads to a road raid incident, something that happens in every city multiple times every day. From there, however, it snowballs into an absolutely bonkers directions as each protagonist takes turn deliberately escalating their argument, eventually enveloping others' families and third parties as the stakes grow higher and higher, going even beyond life and death and into the literal metaphysical all because someone cut someone off with the car. It's fucking wild. <laughs> I consider beef to be part of the very welcome movement of Korean storytellers doing more work for American audiences. If you enjoy 2019's Oscar-winning film Parasite, I think you'll enjoy what creator Lee Sung-jin does with beef. It's a similar blend of exploring the soul-killing mundanity of modern life, crescendoing into a totally gonzo but somehow believable ending. It's insightful and also very skilled in the way that it gives each of the main characters opportunities to show their humanity while also not completely excusing their truly awful decisions. Many critics had issues with the last two episodes of the series where things go completely off the rails for the lead characters, but honestly, they were my favorite. You have to take a serious leap of faith and even a leap of logic to stick with where the filmmakers are going there, but I found the resolution to be quite moving. Ali Wong and Steve Nguyen have both received ample accolades for their work in the series, and deservedly so, but the entire cast is terrific. Apparently, Lee Sing Jin is open to making a second season, and I kind of hope that doesn't happen. This is perfect just as it is, and sometimes it's better to leave well enough alone. That goes for minor car accidents, as well as beautifully executed prestige television miniseries um so thank you very much uh, ama you wanted to say something i did thank you for saying that in regards to it being like let a limited series be a limited series because say what you want about those last two episodes this is an a24 show which means by the end of those like they had 10 episodes i believe so by eight you're like yeah. this could end in any way and you have no idea and the way that they did choose to end it was like that finale is probably one of my most memorable episodes of tv all year uh just yeah. absolutely fantastic and weird and funny in a way that you genuinely don't expect but i love this one a whole lot and then the other thing i would say is as someone who has spoken high praise of tuca and birdie in the past it's very fun to watch the show as just being like what happened to birdie and speckle who are voiced by <laughs> ali wong and steven yun like their relationship has gone through it so watch it twice once for what it is and the second time as a direct connection to tuca and birdie you'll have fun amazing um i also will say that it is both a comedy and a drama it is very much in both of those worlds and it is successful in both of them joelle uh were you going to say something or did you want to pick up with your next pick yeah i'm ready to go next yeah great um so my second pick uh first of all my voice is not just by accident i've been channeling my inner natasha leone i got bronchitis yeah. just so i could sound like charlie kale in poker face you're welcome <laughs> everybody uh i 
didn't go in knowing a whole lot about Poker Face. In fact, I watched the first half of the first episode and I was like, oh, like a Las Vegas crime show? No thanks. So I literally gave up, walked away for like four months. And then I came back because I was hearing, I, I did eventually hear great things about it. And I watched it from beginning to end in a weekend because it was that good. Um, it is by Ryan Johnson, our favorite uh, creator of um, Onion. Um, God. Glass Onion. Glass onion. And <laughs> knives Out. Knives Out. Thank you. The Knives Out series. Um, uh, and, and, and my favorite Star Wars, Shut Up, Bob. Um <laughs> 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 but uh but yeah no he comes <laughs> he comes in with this uh just a send up to Columbo. My husband noted it was like the incredible Hulk. Um it's a quantum leap. All these series where it's just mystery of the week, freak of the week kind of kind of series. Um and you're you're just you're there for the ride. Every episode is another mystery to solve. Uh Natasha Leone is so freaking watchable like in every scene her hair alone is watchable but just the way <laughs> the way she interacts with people the way she's like in the background the, the way they cut these episodes you you know kind of like six feet under you see the thing that happened and then you go back and see like where she fits into the story and, and you know how she gets connected um one of my very favorite episodes involves judith light if you don't watch anything at least watch the judith light episode um it is absolutely stellar television from beginning to end um, each episode is like a movie and Ryan Johnson can make me movies all day long. So yeah. Anyone else want to talk about this? Cause I, I see a lot of nods. Um, I'll say this a few years ago, we were all in the McConaughey where he was everywhere. I feel like we are now in the Leonaissance and I'm so happy for it yeah. because like Natasha went through a time, mm -hmm. right? Like she went through it and she is now really at the top of her game. She's in those old Navy commercials that <laughs> I just can't get enough of. With, with like the straight the hair? Oh my yeah. God, that threw me. Compliments can be hard to take. Just take them. That's a terrible Natasha Leon. <laughs> but um, I, I'm so happy for her. And I'm glad that like we have her as like our modern Columbo because that's essentially what this is, right? Yeah. Yeah, very much a modern Columbo. Like they, they, they put the parallels from beginning to end. There's a bit of a murder she wrote, but she's traveling. So it's much more Columbo because she's, she's going to different parts of the country. And what's, what, one of the things I was reading about is that that was actually the intent. Like it's exposing the entire country through the course of the show. She's literally going from west to east. She's in weird little tiny towns and cities and finding the strangest mysteries to solve. Uh, I love it. I love it too. Is it coming back? Do we know? I sure as hell hope so. I will cry if it doesn't. It's, I'm sure it's yeah. paused by the writers and everything else strike, but who knows? Of course. Yeah, that's that's holding up everything. Well, excellent. Another terrific pick. So I thank you very much for that. With that, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back with our final round of picks for our favorite TV series of the year. And we are back with the last round of our best of 2023 TV episode. Before we wrap things up, I want to ask our panel, where can people find you on social media and what other projects you have going on? Um, I'm going to start with you. So I am on Instagram and YouTube at Amamarfo, all one word. I have a half hour comedy special on YouTube, so feel free to watch it. It's called Enjoy Your Nachos. I really love it. I hope you'll love it too. Uh, and if you're in the Boston area, I will be headlining Nick's Comedy Stop on January 20th with some of my very favorite fellow comedians. So please come out and see us if you're available. I would love to see you. 
Absolutely. Please go see her and please enjoy your nachos. They are delicious. So thank you very much, Ama. Derek, uh, where can people find you? What else you're working on? Yes, I'm not working on anything, but you can find me on socials. Um, I'm at DRKMKT on Instagram and threads. He is. He's also very active in our newly created Muppets Discord channel. If you are a Patreon supporter of the Great Pop Culture Debate, uh, you should. Uh, you will be given granted access to our Patreon, where all the panelists in this episode are very active. And we literally just today added a Muppets channel yep. because the people demanded well, it. Well, I think yes. it was both Derek and then Amma CC'd it, so it happened. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's here. And the person who created our Discord channel and who helps run it because I'm technologically inept is Joelle Bodecker. <laughs> Joelle, where can people find you? What else are you working well, on? Well, you can absolutely find me on our Patreon uh, friendly uh, Discord. Please join. It's fun. I'm there all day, every day. Uh, if you want to find me on other things, I'm still on the Pocket Pod, which is technically an Animal Crossing podcast. Do we talk about Animal Crossing? Like 20% at this point. Um, but yeah, come join us for uh, talks about video games and you know various things in pop culture that aren't debatable we just talk about them for fun um and that's the it. pocket pod and all the socials excellent uh so you can find me at eric resniak on instagram and make sure you're following at great pop culture debate on instagram and tiktok and at gpcd on mastodon my hope is that we will be fully off of twitter slash x by the time that this airs so we are now going to get back into these final picks i'm going to have ama start up our third round uh take it away Sure. So my final pick is not a freebie show, although there were others I could have selected. Uh, I picked Heartstopper season two. I love the first season of Heartstopper. I came to it a little bit late, but the number of friends that are just like, I cried so much and I care so much about these teens. And I was like, seems odd, but I'll try it. Um, absolutely loved it. Uh, blew through the graphic novels as a result. So I was really curious, having read the subsequent books, how season two was going to be attached. I think the first one was deeply happy and just very affirming. And the second season is that, but there's also some really challenging stuff that these characters go through as well. And I didn't know how that was going to translate on the show. They did a beautiful job. Um, both the leads, Kit Connor and Joe Locke, did beautiful work in bringing those difficult pieces of the story to life. So the challenges of coming out, um, the challenges of coming out when you're not sure how your parents will handle it, uh, dealing with trauma in certain ways, uh, the possibility of homelessness as being part of the LGBTQ community. And at every turn, they just did it in really lovely ways and just made you fall in love with this group of kids who take such good care of each other. And I am so excited to see what happens next. They are filming now. They weren't uh, bound by the same sag after and WGA restrictions. So they are in production on season three. So we will be getting more. And I'm very excited to see where it goes. But they did. If you love the first season, you will love the second season. It's fantastic. I saw Joelle, so this is an audio medium, uh, but I saw Joelle literally headbanging when Amma mentioned her third pick. Joelle, did you want to chime in? Yeah, it's mostly a cosign, and I'm looking at Bob, who I'm surprised is shutting his mouth because he has so much to say about Heartstopper. Um, that it's just, it's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful, delightful show. Um, it's the show both seasons I watched, and then I rewatched 10 minutes after I finished the first uh, watch through. So I just, it's, it's just great and delightful and sweet and beautiful. And we need that right yes. now, right? We yes. absolutely need that. So thank you very much, Ama. Derek, talk to us about your third pick. Yes, my third pick is Conk on Earth. 
Um, this is a five episode mockumentary series that came to Netflix in January of this year and was an instant hit with audiences everywhere. Um, this is actually Diane Morgan's second turn as Philomena Kunk, her first being the BBC series Kunk on Britain. Um, for those of you wondering, Kunk, it's a portmanteau of, as the Brits would say, two very rude words. Um, Kunk, (laughs) (laughs) I'll let you figure out what those are. Um, Conk on Earth successfully lampoons uh, British anthropological documentaries, so think um, Sir David Attenborough, uh, presenting key moments in human development, key events, uh, cultural achievements by, quote-unquote, interviewing experts in various fields, asking them in the most serious, deadpan way, the most dumb questions possible. Um, If we can compare it to anything else, it gives us shades of like the Colbert Report or Zach Galifianakis' Between Two Ferns um, with just a dash of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, For instance, in one episode, she ponders how things must have been just floating around before Newton invented gravity. Um, In another, (laughs) she, she insists that it was actually called the Soviet Onion because she just read that somewhere. Um, two of my personal favorites, she opines in her signature deadpan, maybe one day human beings won't need buildings anymore. Although for that to happen, we'd probably need to evolve skins made of bricks. And that might take at least another 30 years. Um, or, but what was so great about Henry of eight? Why is he the king that we all still remember, say, unlike Richard V? Well, for one thing, he was fat, so he takes up a lot more room in memory. Um, it's a history series ostensibly presented by someone who hates history. Um, so it's deliciously dumb in a way that only the British satire can do. Um, and for those of you wondering about my intro at the beginning of this podcast, Philomena Conk finds a way in each episode to work in a reference to the 1989 Belgian techno track, Pump Up the Jam by Technotronic. I found myself giggle snorting through every episode. Um, you are amazing for giggle snorting. I was fully cackling through the entirety <laughs> of this thing, like full throated cackles. There's one where she's interviewing some expert. I remember she's like, so King Arthur came a lot. And, and they're just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, it's right there. It's in the name. Came a lot. Camelot. No, no, I'm pretty sure it's Camelot. Like it's that type of stupid humor, but goddamn is it funny. Ama, I saw you reacting when, when Derek was starting to talk about this. Yes. So again, that technotronic drop, like you somehow know it's coming, but you don't know yes. when it's coming until it comes. And then your whole body laughs. Like those of us who are in recording, like my bed's lofted, it's very high. I've almost fallen out of it more than once watching. Yeah. Uh, and then there is a rant that she has about Star Wars. Well, the rant's not about Star Wars, but it involves Star Wars and the U.S. space program and the Russian space program. And you will not watch a Star Wars movie without thinking about that question <laughs> slash rant ever again. It's mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. It is such a, and it came out pretty early in the year, right, Derek? It yeah, was, like I January. feel like it was right yeah. in the year. Yeah, January. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm so glad that we're giving love to some of the shows from very early in the year because sometimes I think they get forgotten on end of the year lifts. Thank you so much for making sure we talked about this. It was a highlight of this year without any question. Please Mm -hmm. go watch it. It's on Netflix. We've used the word delight a million times on this podcast, (laughs) but like literally this is a delight. Um, I'm going to talk about my third pick, which is not a delight. In fact, it is like the antithesis of delight. It is The Last of Us on HBO Max, whatever it's called now. I don't know. (laughs) 
Arguably the biggest TV show of the year, HBO's The Last of Us was heavily anticipated when it debuted way back in January, and it more than lived up to the hype. You would not expect that a television adaptation of a video game about surviving in a post-apocalyptic zombie hellscape would be one of the best TV series of the year, but here we are. The Last of Us initially was compared to The Walking Dead. Within a few episodes, I think it easily overshot that measuring stick. Walking Dead zombies shambled so that Last of Us's clickers could blitz. The horror of the fungus-controlled undead is part of what sets Last of Us apart, but the main thing is the tight focus on two core survivors, Pedro Pascal's Joel and Bella Ramsey's Ellie. Mm -hmm. The two of them are absolutely stellar in their roles, and their adventures in season one alone are harrowing. When I think of how much ground they covered in season one, especially when compared to other, more laconically paced shows, I'm astonished. The Last of Us is an intense experience, both in terms of the dangers faced by the characters and the speed at which the show progresses. I don't think there's a bad decision in the entirety of the first season. Let me clarify that. I don't think the creators and showrunners made a bad decision. I think there's numerous bad decisions that are made on the screen. But the episode that I think really set the show apart from the others and at this point, the zombie survival genre is pretty crowded, is episode three, something of a bottle episode showing the lives of Bill and Frank, played by Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett, in performances that earned them both Emmy nominations and really made people understand just how powerful this show could be. The other flashback episodes featuring Ellie and her best friend slash quasi-love interest, as well as Ellie's mother, also packed incredible punches. But honestly, the whole first season is excellent. I don't know how long this show can be sustained. There are only two games for them to take story from as of now and from what i've read the creators don't intend to run this into the ground the way that walking dead has strip mined that ip i'm hopeful that when we get more of the last of us it will continue the high degree of execution because season one was honestly exceptional ama you are the biggest pedro pascal fan that i know do you have thoughts about this show boy do i uh so let me say let me say first that the zombie kind of genre has never been something that i was going to participate in and then that third episode dropped bill and frank and everybody i knew that was watching it was like you need to see this not even for the pedro pascal of it but for the you watch so much television you will love this of it and i did i spent like that weekend and it actually ended up being the weekend that pedro pascal hosted snl like catching up on the show so it was a very full Pedro Pascal weekend. And I was like, oh, I'm absolutely all the way in on this. Um, but there's so much wonderful stuff here. Like the performances are exceptional. They have a really deep well of folks that were nominated for guest Emmys, including Kayvon Woodward, who played the young deaf boy, uh, youngest yeah. Emmy nominee in history at eight or nine years old. Absolutely spectacular. Wow. I cried when I saw, I cried at the episode, cried at the nomination, cried every time the nomination was mentioned. It's so deeply emotional, but they've done something so beautiful, which is make somebody who largely does not care about video games fall in love with every one of these characters. Yeah, a very high level of execution on the show. Thank you, Ama. Uh, Joelle, do you want to take us home with your last pick? I sure can. Um, I do want to add that um, Last of Us is not a show that has ever been my genre, but even I watched it and loved it immensely. I don't like scary things. I avoid them. But that is a beautifully watchable show. And honestly, Pedro Pascal on screen kind of makes up for anything scary. So that helped a lot. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so my last, or, or my, I guess, yeah, my final selection here. Um, 
uh, Lessons in Chemistry. It's out right now. It's not even done airing yet. Uh, I read the book in, in a book club I was in last year. Um, I don't normally read like non-YA books. So the fact that this one pulled me in and I loved it um, and I found out they were adapting it, Brie Larson, it was the lead. I was like, all right, I'm 100% in. I don't even care if it's good. But it actually is really good. Um, it takes place in the 50s. It follows this woman who has had just about all traumas happen to her over the course of her life. Uh, but she's this brilliant scientist. And again, in the 50s, where she gets absolutely no credit for her brilliance. Um, and she's walking around just trying to make the world better and trying to study humanity and and just science with all the things. And ultimately she ends up uh, going the cooking route using her science and her chemistry to become an incredible chef and a famous TV uh, uh, chef. Um, because that's what you have to do when you're a woman in the fifties and you wanna make money and you're single and with a daughter. Um, all of this stuff is like the log line. That's, these aren't spoilers really. Um, Everyone in the cast is great. What I love about this adaptation is that they've expanded a lot of the characters. Um, there's a character, her next door neighbor, uh, played by Aja Naomi King, and she is incredible in the show. They've made this character who was really a side character in the book, a really strong, uh, powerful person, uh, like absolutely brilliant in a completely different way. And it's just showing women as brilliant people and not getting the respect they deserve, but the TV show is giving them the respect they deserve. So I recommend it. it. This is Apple TV. So if you don't have it, I get why you can't watch it. Um, but yeah, I recommend it entirely. And I'm glad you mentioned it. Also, I think Brie Larson needs a little bit of love right now. Yeah. I, I'm hating the press around the Marvels. It's really bothering me on a cellular level. So I'm glad that we're lifting her up in this. So thank you very much, Joelle. Um, so we actually have some time for some nominations for honorable mentions because narrowing it down to three shows per person is really hard because our team watches a lot of television. So Ama, talk to us about some of the shows that we didn't cover already that you want to make sure people are checking out. So we actually didn't have a part of the podcast this year where we got to talk about our disappointments. Uh, but I think one of the reasons to me that Praise PD was so successful is that it took the energy of something that I had really been looking forward to, which was the Clone High reboot on Max, and kind of infused it into a different show. Uh, so it feels a lot like if Schitt's Creek and Clone High had this really energetic, very weird cult-infused baby. Um, it's about a young woman voiced by Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek who inherits a town from her recently dead father and finds out that that town is actually a cult. Uh, so it's animated and wacky and weird and just so much fun and really, really sad that we're, as of very recently, just found out that is the only season that we'll get. But it is a lot of fun uh, through Freeform, so you could watch it on Hulu. And then my second pick was season three of Starstruck. Starstruck, I've talked about it many times in my year-end wrap-ups. It's consistently the best thing on TV in any given year. And this year, it took up that rom-com mantle that we've all been missing and talking about from a larger sense, but really gave us something unique in the sense that the third person that's introduced to kind of foil the main couple is actually really likable. And you can kind of see a possibility of an ending with either of those guys and they do it in a really smart way a really natural way and it's one of those things that was six episodes you have try to pace yourself i know speaking for myself i don't pace myself very well and i am destroyed when it ends so quickly so i hope this is not the last that we get we haven't heard about renewal yet but 
it is one of the best things I watched this year, and I hope that future seasons will be the next thing, the best thing that I watch in future years. And it's on HBO, you said, correct? Yes, it is on Max. Great. Thank you. It is a painfully short show, unfortunately. I love it so much. And every time I get to like halfway through the season, I'm like, oh, crap. I'm halfway through. I'm three episodes in and I'm halfway through. It's painful. But altogether, there's 18 episodes right now. So it's like an entire season is available. Excellent. Thank you so much, Amit. Derek, talk to us about your honorable mentions. Yes. So I have two. Um, If you're looking for more Star Trek and you're not already watching it, the second season of Strange New Worlds is fantastic. Come for Anson Mount's hair, um, but mm. stay stay for a f- really fantastic um, Star Trek courtroom episode, and also um, the first Star Trek musical episode, which got very mixed reviews, but I thoroughly enjoyed, and I will I will stick to that opinion. Um, the other I show, loved it. I was so good, right? Um, I listen to it still. I love it so much. It's it, it's. I mean, the, some of the cast's voices are actually pretty stunningly beautiful. So it did it did catch me by surprise i guess i mean your hero was in the original broadway cast of jagged little pill so yes. like okay, of but course like, they're yes. going to do Anson that. Mount was in crossroads let's not forget and if you're looking for more musicals uh, my second pick is actually season two of schmigadoon cecily strong and keegan michael key are back as josh and melissa um who for those who are not um familiar with the premise of the show um go on a hike to work out their relationship problems and somehow end up in a town completely driven by musicals the first season was very kind of um schmaltzy very leaned into the rogers and hammerstein kind of era um the second season is completely raunchy and filthy, uh, more of the Candor and Ebb and like uh, Stephen Schwartz era. So highly recommend it. Um, some of your favorites are back um, from first season, um, but it also has um, Titus. Titus is back as the master of ceremonies. So it's just really fantastic. We love it. Uh, Joelle, what do you have for your honorable mentions? Sure. Um, so one of the shows that uh, came out mid-year and it was clearly built for me because i i grew up loving almost famous is uh, uh, uh daisy jones and the six um that show it, it, it it's just your classic following a band as they evolve and grow and move across the country and um it, it very much has the same beats of something like almost famous however um there's a there's kind of a really cool twist towards the end um, that makes it just even that much more worth watching from beginning to end. Um, and it's a, it's a great cast um, and it's on Amazon Prime and it's, yeah, just, I don't know what else to say, it's great. Um, they got nominated for Grammys too. Some it, of the songs from the show was, were nominated for Grammys. Those songs are really, they're really catchy. They did, they did a really good job of capturing, um, the, you know, the bands that it was sort of based on. Um, why is my brain Stevie Nicks's band? What what's that band? Um, Fleetwood Mac. Thank you. I'm having a brain fart today. <laughs> but yeah, like it really captures like that Fleetwood Mac vibe very well, and it's just yeah, it's great, great to listen to, great to watch. Um, my other pick is uh, Queen Charlotte on Netflix. As a Bridgerton fan and as a impatient Bridgerton fan, getting an an in between installment that's a bit of a prequel. It is a prequel, but it has some non prequel parts of it in it as well. Was just um, exactly the kind of you know food for the soul you need when you're just desperate for more you know period drama, fancy dresses, giant fancy Queen Charlotte hair. Um, and what I like about the show is it forces me to look up the actual history and find out that mm-hmm. yes, in fact, they did have a thousand children. Um, I, I, that was a new one for me. I didn't know. 
Fascinating. I I, st- I still want to watch that one. I'm behind. I watched the first two seasons of Bridgerton. I have every intention of watching Queen Charlotte. It's just carving out the time because there's a million different shows on television right now that I want to watch, and most of them are on Netflix. Speaking of which, here are my two, both of which are from Netflix. <laughs> um, the first one is The Fall of the House of Usher, which is Mike Flanagan's latest. It came out in October, just in time for Halloween. I loved this show. It is an adaptation of the Edgar Allan Poe works, not just House of Usher, but many of his works. And it's modernized and basically set in a um, pharmaceutical company, uh, kind of giving you the the Sacklers as um, both cautionary tale and horrors themselves. And I thought it was super effective. I There are some bum episodes, I'm not going to lie to you, but um, there are some, also some episodes that were howlingly funny. Um, Mary McDonald just devours that role. It's terrific. I just, I, I had the funnest, the funnest, the most fun time with that show than I've had with any other Mike Flanagan show. So highly recommended. And then also on Netflix, Survival of the Thickest, which is Michelle Buteau, uh, host of The Circle, uh, comedian, and it is uh, kind of based on her life romantic comedy sitcom that is so charming. And I just, we devoured the whole thing in like the course of two nights. We couldn't stop watching it. It is sweet. It is funny. It is, it hits all of the notes. I certainly hope it's coming back because we just delighted in watching this show. It was really so much better than I even hoped it could be. So, so those are our picks. Did you watch any of them? Do you have opinions? Is there something else that we missed? This episode is just the beginning of the discussion. So let us know your favorites on social media and at greatpopculturedebate.com. A big thank you to our panelists. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to check out Great Pop Culture Debate's other best of 2023 episodes devoted to music, books, and film, and all releasing between now and the new year. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever else you listen to podcasts, and that you follow us on all of our social media accounts for the latest latest news. And if you haven't supported us on Patreon, what are you waiting for? There are so many great perks and we'd love to have you as part of our little pod family. And you better buckle up because the Great Pop Culture Debate has plenty more in store in 2024. Head to greatpopculturedebate.com right now to vote in the remaining polls for season nine. We're talking best James Bond film, best 80s teen film, best tabletop board game, best classic Hollywood star, and those are just to name a few. Then in late January, we'll be releasing our Patreon sponsored episodes, which include best 90s dance hit, best TV family, best Nintendo villain, and best Les Miserables song. So much fun. We look forward to an amazing 2024, and remember, everyone is entitled to their wrong opinions. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.